G'day, Dominic Barfield here. This is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening and thank you for subscribing. We would be grateful if you could go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That would be great. Um, obviously, other stars are available, but five stars would uh, definitely make us uh, top, of, top of the tree, which is probably where we, where we would like to be. So if you have any topics you'd like to discuss, comments, suggestions on the show, please tweet me at Don Barfield or email me at dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk. So today we've managed to regain an audience with Dr. Elvin Clendra, uh, lecturer in orthopaedic surgery here at the RVC about management of hip dislocation in dogs. This is our second attempt at recording the pod, so uh, many thanks for your patience, Elvin. Not a problem, Dom. <laughs> so we're going to try and go for some things to consider, how to approach them, elmer slings, and, and maybe the 20 ways of surgically managing them, or maybe just a, a few of those 20 ways. So, uh, so thanks again, Elvin. Um, and uh, um, so we'll get straight into it. So firstly, I'll, refer, sorry, sorry, I'll attempt to refer to this as coxofemoral luxation rather than anything else. Uh, so, um, And uh, maybe could I ask, am I right, that, uh, um, that the most common luxation in dogs uh, it's, it's, it's from following trauma and mainly that's being sort of hit by a car in the in hitless locations. Yeah, so often we see these these type of injuries following uh, following trauma. So um, although um, as orthopaedic surgeons we concentrate on the uh, on the limbs, it's important to look at these patients globally and make sure they don't have any concurrent injuries as well. Um, and as you say, so typically we see it's following trauma and typically the luxations are craniodorsal. Um, and um, w- for a, a traumatic luxation to occur, it's important to recognise that at least two out of the three main stabilisers have, have had to have um, been damaged. So when we talk about the major stabilisers of the hip joint, we're talking about the joint capsule, the dorsolastabular rim and the um, ligament of the femoral head or the teres ligament. Okay, so when, when you're assessing these uh, these patients, so obviously we need to have a look at any sort of trauma patient as their their, their major body systems, their heart, brains, and lungs, to make sure cardiovascular they're okay. So after we've after we've done all, all of all of that, you know, primary and secondary uh, um, survey of the of the patient, um, how how do you assess their um, what, what, what are you keen on if you're worried that they might have a dislocated? So, so there are some giveaway signs when. Um with uh, craniodorsal luxations and if we think about the the symmetry of the pelvis there are certain landmarks that we can palpate which can help us identify these potential luxations so if we think of the the greater trochanter the dorsal iliac wing and the ischiatic tuberosity when we palpate those they should generally form a, a triangle with the dorsal aspect of the ilial wing and the ischiatic tuberosity more or less in the same line and the greater trochanter further distally to that. So what happens when you have a cranial dorsal luxation, all of those three points become one line, as it were. So the, the displacement comes, the greater trochanter comes dorsally, and it comes in line with the ilial wing and the ischiatic tuberosity, and you lose that, pil- that pelvic asymmetry. The easiest way to do that is just to palpate the contralateral side and palpate the affected side and see whether you can feel a difference in the position of the greater trochanter. One thing to bear in mind, though, is that is that um, with traumatic hip luxations, they don't always go dorsally and they can actually go chordoventrally. And if they go chordoventrally, it can be actually more difficult to palpate the greater trochanter. Um, other things that you can assess is limb length disparity. So if you have a craniodorsal luxation, if you put, put them on their side, you often see that one leg can be slightly shorter than the other. And with craniodorsal luxations, what you find is that there's also external rotation uh, off the um, off the limb as well compared to the contralateral side. So those kind of things can help give away 
um, the fact that there's a there's a coxfemoral luxation. Other things, as more obvious things, are um, pain associated with hip manipulation as well. And when you're doing an orthopedic exam, Elvin, do you take a look, take into account like the neurological function of the? Yeah, so the always knee? take a, a account into neurological function. Some basic neurological tests to do with it with any traumatic injuries are. Um, so superficial sensation and deep pain sensation. And when you're assessing deep pain sensation, it's important that you um, that an appropriate amount of pressure is pl- applied on the um, distal phalanx and that you're looking for not only a motor function and a withdrawal, but also an active reaction by the animal as well. Um, and so they're looking either to vocalise or turn around and acknowledge that they that they can um, they can feel you um, uh, pinching their, uh, their legs, as it were. Uh, the other thing to bear in mind that when you do deep pain sensation you should it should be done on if when you're testing the cytic nerve on the lateral aspect because the medial aspect is innervated by the femoral nerve so if you did digit two and you did deep sensation on digit two you may get a um a reaction but that's a femoral component and your cytic component could be um injured but you would miss that because it wasn't assessed that's a that's a good 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 point um and when you're you, you do you take radiographs of all these these patients like before you do any manipulation or anything like yeah, that? yeah so i would recommend that uh, radiographs are always taken before you do any manipulation it will help you identify the exact nature of trauma um that has been sustained for example if you can see radiographically that you've got a fracture of the dorsal acetabular rim it's very unlikely that that hip joint is going to be stable once you reduce it and it'll have persistent instability and that would be an indication for internal fixation um or if you have a cord of ventral luxation it will it will show that you it will help you identify how you're going to have to manipulate that leg to get it back into the right place so always take radiographs before um, attempted reduction and always takes radiographs after reduction to confirm that you've achieved what you set out to achieve. And do you have any particular views of it? Because I think I've been I've definitely caught out once or twice that can't necessarily see a fracture that, that exists. So the, the, the standard uh, um, lateral radiograph and, and DV? Or? Yeah, so um, for me, it's all, all the, the, it's all important to um, take orthogonal views of the pelvis so a lateral radiograph and a, a, a ventrodorsal um, view of the pelvis um, but when you have a ventrodorsal view of the pelvis you can either have an extended or a frog legs and it is important to realize that uh, not so much with hip luxations but certainly with capital physeal fractures or femoral subtle femoral head fractures that are not non-displaced that when you take a vd view they can with minimal displacement it can be very difficult to identify those fractures but when you have a frog leg view the displacement becomes more obvious. So certainly if you have an animal with the clinical signs of pain uh, do not correspond to your radiographic findings, just think, am I missing something here? Is it just the fracture is many displaced on these radiographs and I can't see it? Maybe I'll try another view and that would then become more apparent. Okay, well, thank you. So if you are going to attempt to close reductions as you can't see anything that would um, that would mitigate that, or, or maybe you could explain the first, is there anything that would stop you attempting a closed reduction initially? Um, so some surgeons, it's very much surgeon's preference. Some surgeons would advocate and take uh, most of these animals to, to surgery. Um, I think it's very reasonable, especially if the patient is unst- unstable as well. And if you can try a, a short general anaesthetic, you've taken chest radiographs, it's got pulmonary contusions or pneumothorax, you could try closed reduction. If you are successful, then you don't need to do anything else. But if it, if it reluxates, then obviously you need to take the... The, the dog uh, back to surgery, or the dog or cat back to surgery. But um, 
if we look in the literature, we can see that in dogs, close reduction is successful in approximately 53% of cases, around so around 50%. And um, in cats, it's actually slightly higher. So around 65% of uh, cats with uh, traumatic luxations can be reduced closed. Um, so the way that I would approach it is that I would take my initial radiographs and then once I've identified the direction of the luxation, if it's craniodorsal, most common, what I would do is I, the dog would be on uh, lateral recumbency with the effector side being uppermost. I would stand on the uh, ventral aspect of the dog or on the, the sternal side and then I would have um, an assistant standing on the dorsum they would have a towel and that towel would go um, in between the dog's legs in the inguinal region and then um, uh, cordially uh, by the tail base uh, between the legs and they would be providing traction on the on, on the dog when I, when I'm pulling cat so that I don't essentially pull the dog off the table yeah. and the trick to do to tr the trick to reducing these um, luxations is that you have to externally rotate the the pelvic limb. So when you externally rotate the pelvic limb, what you're doing is you're rotating the femoral head and then you can pull, put traction cordially and ventrally and by externally rotating the, uh, the femoral head, you're getting it above the dorsal acetabular rim and then once you're above the dorsal acetabular rim, you internally rotate it and then it should click back in. One thing that you uh, to remember after that is um, at surgery, what you would typically do is you would clean out the acetabulum to make sure there's no blood clots, there's no soft tissues that are actually trapped into the acetabulum that are preventing the femoral head seating correctly in the acetabulum. Obviously that's not pro um, um, possible when you do a closed reduction, but what you can do is you can manipulate the leg back and forth just to make sure that you can try and put pressure and squish out or push out any blood clots that may be um, present so that you can get additional stability. What in the ideal situation for a closed uh, reduction would be there'll be a small tear in the joint capsule. You can get the femoral head back through that tear, reduce it back, and that it's stable. And that small, uh, the, as long as the dog doesn't externally uh, extend its hip, then over time that tear in the joint capsule should heal and then it won't luxate. But if the joint capsule is trashed, um, then those cases don't tend to do as well with. Um, closed reduction and we need internal fixation but obviously we just can't identify those you know attempting exactly it's very difficult anyway. to identify that or radiographically it's often a surgical finding that what the, the hip's been unstable you go in and you assess it and often what you find in these cases it's not uncommon for there to be a lot of trauma to the the joint capsule and I suppose that the other thing is I've seen um, you and, and colleagues um, manipulating the joint that once you manage to uh, to put it back in place. And, and it, it, it's uh, I always thought about being you know incredibly gentle once you get them back in place. But actually, you want to put a little bit of, of pressure on the on the on, on the greater trochanter, yeah, absolutely, and, yeah, and move that and around move it a around. bit to try and yep. actually get that clot out of those. And then um, the one thing to remember is that once you've done that and the animal has recovered. Um, when these animals come back for assessment at two for four weeks' time, and you just want to assess that the the the, the coxofemoral joint is reduced and is, is still in, um, naturally what we want to do is we we want to extend the hip and have a feel around and make sure there's no crepitus. But I would avoid doing that uh, because I have seen cases where animals have been walking well. They go back in for a recheck. Um, the referring the veterinarian has. 
um, assess the patient and has manipulated the hip joint and subsequently it's luxated. So the best way to do it at that point would just be to palpate, go back and palpate your greater trochanter and your points on your pelvis and make sure you've got that triangle. And if you've got that triangle, then I would leave the dog well alone. Um, and as far as when, you, when you're happy that it's sitting in place, what, what are your thoughts of the uh, the elbow sling? Because I remember the Piermata, you know, I'd get it out and have a look and try yeah. and sort of concoct this amazing so the, bandage. So the aim, the aim of sling is quite, um, it, it, can, it can be quite a, a, a challenge, I would say, to put on well. Um, and one of the problems that you have with the aim of sling, it certainly is effective in um, causing in inward rotation internal rotation of the hip joint and, and preventing it from going uh craniodorsally but it can be quite difficult to get a good dressing on that doesn't slip and the other things that i've seen is um sloughing injuries on the dorsal metatarsal region and on the pads uh where um dressings have been slightly tight um and I have seen cases where um, I personally have put an AMA sling on and the injuries that I have subsequently had to manage with in terms of the uh, metatarsal injuries and the pad injuries have been actually a greater problem than the actual coxofemoral luxation in the first place. So for me, personally, I'm not a great fan of AMA slings and I would have, I would avoid them and I would accept that if the hip comes back out, then I'd need to do some kind of internal fixation. The other things that you can use are hobbles. Hobbles are slightly different. Hobbles are used for um, ventral luxations. So with ventral luxations, um, abduction of the limbs can cause relaxation ventrally. So in those patients, to prevent abduction, you can put hobbles on. Um, and um, I have, I, I don't have, I'm not adverse to using hobbles like I am to the AMR, the AMR sling. Okay, and uh, obviously you said you, you take some radiographs after you you put that put the uh, hip back in place, which is which is good. So, what, what advice do you give to the owners? To say you've done a close reduction, um, it's it's back in. So, so if you're going to discharge those, obviously for for you know not worry about any other injuries they might have might not have yeah, sustained. Yeah, so generally cage rest, lead walks, gradually building up their exercise. Um, I would say that they would have to be cage rested for four to six weeks. Um, generally, um, I would historically i said four weeks because i think luxations relaxations tend to occur sooner rather than later so once you get over the four week period you're unlikely to have a relaxation occur but i have changed it i'm a bit more uh, skeptical shall we say like i have seen cases which have relaxated as late as five weeks and six weeks so um i tend to keep them restricted for around six weeks of uh on the lead and gradually build up their exercise during that time and no stairs no jumping no stairs i'm pretty strict no stairs no jumping um and um lead walks only and then after that time then they can gradually build the exercise up excellent so if you if you've had a um a, a, a failed attempt at a, a close reduction or, yep. or you've you've um you've been successful for a short period of time would, would you give it another go or or do you think that now's the time to i think consider if, an open i think reduction? if um close reduction has failed one time it's unlikely to be successful on on, uh, on subsequent occasions and um, my preference would be to go straight to internal fixation there were some surgeons who would take them or take all cases straight to um, to surgery, but that's slight preference. But I think certainly if it's failed once, then I would um, I would try and do some kind of surgical fixation techniques. And again, once you um, once you get in there surgically and you can have a look at everything, 
if the, if you have a joint capsule which you can resuture, that's probably the most favourable thing you can do in terms of preventing reluxation. So that's for me certainly that would be augmented by another type of fixation technique. But if I can reconstruct the joint capsule, I will do that as well. So Rita, because I know this is one of your favourite uh, questions for the residents, the uh, 20 ways or, or maybe even more to uh, to openly reduce. So uh, a capsulography, the Vita pinning, extracapsular sutures, um, tendodesis of the deep gluteal muscle, transarticular pinning, transposition of the greater trochanter of the femur, transposition of the, of the, of the sacrotuberous ligament, and toggle and rod stabilisation, tightrope, which is a registered trademark allegedly system, um, which sounds like a, a very toggle and rod system, topal hip arthroplasty, triple pelvic osteotomy, femoral head and neck osteotomy. Uh, I've probably missed out some. Rectofemoral right? femoral suture as well, yes. There are, there are, there are many ways in which you can uh, uh, um, stabilise uh, a hip. And partly it will be dictated in terms of the orientation of the luxation. So um, for me, if I have a cord of ventral luxation, I will probably try and um, uh, avoid using something like a iliofemoral suture because that will internally rotate the hip joint and will put caudal traction and that's potentially where you've got your instability as well so you could cause relaxation so for me i wouldn't use an iliofemoral suture in a caudal ventral luxation but the more common techniques most common techniques that i tend to use are uh, toggles iliofemoral sutures um, and try and combine those with capsularophies if i can and potentially transarticular pinnings as well in in cats and small dogs as well yeah Okay, and are they relatively, um, are they procedures that have like a low morbidity associated with them or not too much can go wrong? Yeah, out of all of those procedures that you um, read out, the DeVita pinning is a historical procedure that was done, it's got quite a high complication of cytic nerve kebabbing, shall we say, Um, so it's probably something that I would not um, recommend, Um, but uh, a lot of the other procedures have got relatively similar kind of success rates of around uh, 80 to 90 percent. That's pretty good, isn't it? Pretty good, yeah. That's pretty good. Um, And so uh, I suppose that the the main issues associated with open reduction would be sort of infection or implant migration, neurological damage and articular cartilage damage. So so if you actually have a luxated joint or coxofemoral luxation, are these dogs more prone to getting osteoarthritis in that limb or do we not know? Um, It's a good question. Well, we do know that any arthrotomy per se will predispose the joint to um, developing arthritis. Now, whether that's clinical or not is a is a different matter. But certainly, doing a surgical approach to the hip joint is likely to predispose to some level of of arthritis, even if it be um, subclinical, as it were. Um, but the um, other thing I guess to remember is that um, when you're deciding which procedure to do or not. It's to carefully interrogate your radiographs and look whether there's any evidence of dysplasia because if there is any evidence of hip dysplasia and these hips are fundamentally not congruent or not normal, any of the conventional techniques of um, reduction are likely to lead to failure. So then you'd be thinking about doing a hip replacement or potentially a salvage procedure like a femoral head and neck excision. So... um, Sometimes what you might you may um, may be familiar in the history is that animals can get traumatic hip luxations, but have actual actually um, have minimal um, minimal trauma. So it may be that an animal is just walking or kicks its leg out in a awkward um, direction and then suddenly sustains a coxofemoral luxation. So if you kind of have a history like that with minimal trauma and you've got a coxofemoral luxation, just make sure you think twice about what type of fixation method 
you use. Yeah, so there might be sort of something else going, going on, on that, yeah. that, that we yeah. need to be aware of. So you mentioned the uh, um, uh, total uh, um, pelvic osteotomy. No, no, you didn't mention total hip replacement. <laughs> yeah. but is there a, um, a right or wrong about like weight size or when to, when to do that? Or you know, is there more success in that? Because obviously that's what they do in us, but I suppose we're bipedal rather than... Yeah, so... Like, so, so for me, a total hip replacement is a salvage procedure, and it's not something that I would go in first line with. Historically, when we're talking about total hip replacements, we would say, oh, it's for dogs that are bigger, dogs less than 20 kilos do very good with femoral head and neck excisions. I think that's more of a historic view. I think um, now more with implants um, technology and implant designs, implants are now available for hip replacements in cats or even the microbiometric system um, for uh, little toy breed dogs as well. So we can do hip replacements in anything from dogs which weigh two kilos now or up to 100 kilos. So um, I don't think it's so much size dependent, but um, more is it clinically indicated and is it right for the owner and is it right for the dog as well. Um, but for first off, if there was a traumatic hip luxation, which had does, w the hip was con normally congruent and it wasn't dysplastic, it wasn't chronic, I would not be um, going to a hip replacement as my first resort, as it were, yeah. Okay, so if, we, if we're just going to uh, recap a little, Elvin, uh, about that. So obviously, in, in any animal having a traumatic injury, we need to assess those uh, um, th themselves. You know, the, the whole patient and the heart, brains, uh, lungs before we have a look at the look at the hip. But if we if we do have a uh, coxofemoral luxation, obviously you need to take a radiograph on that, and uh, um, and you would probably uh, you know, as long as there wasn't any predisposing factors, try at least close reduction and the, the first time obviously explaining to the owners that yep half of them might might pop out Correct. but then yep. it's not a surgery and and uh and, and that has its its own its own issues yeah and then probably the, the important thing is to remove out that that blood clot in that's in in that as much as possible with manipulation of the joint and pressure on the greater canter as you're manipulating the joint as well to try and push out all of those yeah. blood clots yeah and then obviously keep them uh, rested, cage rest, yep. which, which is really a difficult thing to do, isn't it? Do you, do you think that's one of the, the hardest things about, about your job I think as, as in an I orthopedic think surgeon? I think it's probably one of the easiest things for an orthopedic surgeon to say, but probably one of the hardest things for an owner to do. Yeah. And I think sometimes that we forget um, that the advice that we, we give, although it's black and white in our minds, actually for an owner it can be quite a challenging thing to carry out, especially if they have... Um, the dogs sleeps up um, upstairs with them or sleeps on the bed with them so these can be quite, quite emotional things and certainly have some owners who really struggled with uh, with with the advice and I certainly remember one case um, in which the owner really struggled with maintaining the dog in a cage um, and so she said the dog was getting too upset and she took the dog out of the cage and then it subsequently relaxated its hip so it is difficult, yes, but I think as much as possible, certainly if you can get past the first four weeks of rest, then that's um, by um, certainly the, the, the better of the two evils. Yeah, I, do, I, I mean, I, I do remember with uh, my own dog once upon a time, uh, the cage dressing for a shoulder injury, and, and it was 
tough. You know, like yeah. it was just just tough, and that and that was, you know, and we do what we do. So, so yeah. uh, but 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 absolutely, I think we we forget about that. But also that, you know, what what cage rest means is that yeah, no, you know, nothing off a leash, yeah, nothing uh, going upstairs or jumping on beds or jumping in the car, exactly. and, and it, it, it's it is it is hard to it is hard to do, um, and then obviously the various sort of open techniques of of uh, of, of of trying to repair um, that luxation. As, as well but obviously there's different flavors of the month that might be more anatomically suited to depending on the type of luxation that, that they have yeah absolutely and like uh, one thing that i have noticed is that um for me dogs which have a toggle they tend to walk um pretty well in a pretty normal fashion compared to those that which have an iliofemoral suture because dogs which have an iliofemoral suture you're internally rotating the hip joint so they're they're stifle and the whole leg becomes internally rotated but over time as the suture stretches their leg will come into a more normal position but some dogs can find that a bit uncomfortable and will occasionally keep turning around at their at their back end as though something is bothering them with toggles i don't get that as as much so and for me it's probably because the the suture is in a more anatomical normal location appropriate location than with an iliofemoral suture and is there anything to do with do, do the patients recovering from having a open reduction have less of a convalescence time do they do they have less of a time that they need to be exercise restricted no it would still be the same for me yeah it's still rest them the same appropriate time because your whatever fixation technique that you um, choose is not going to last forever and you're um, you're aiming for fibrosis and uh, around of the joint capsule and the soft tissues to give long-term stability so uh, the greater forces that go through those implants the quicker they're going to fail and it's always a race between fibro fibrous tissue forming around the, the hip joint and stabilization and implants failing too early so the the less time you cyclically load those implants or the the more time you rest them the better chance of getting that fibrous tissue to stabilize the hip joint and and finally just uh, a comment on analgesia i suppose initially obviously these guys are, are pretty sore but do you do you think that after a, a, a moderate amount of time so five days ten days they should be pain-free and pretty comfortable pretty quickly yeah they will be slightly sore because of the soft tissue dissection but um they i would say normally after surgery uh, uh, they'd have a course of analgesia of about seven to ten days, and then they would be off off it. So yeah. Yeah, and so I suppose if they're starting to um, pull up lame after that time, certainly yes, you need to have a look at them exactly. Again. So th the signs to watch out for a sudden deterioration in the lameness, and if that was the case, then yes, you'd need to get them back in and reassess them. Well, many thanks again for your time today, Elvin, and uh, the previous one that we managed to uh, misplace. Not a, not a problem, Dom, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> and thank you uh, to the listeners for subscribing. And don't forget to tell your friends. It'd be great if you could take a couple of minutes, really would, if you could leave us a review on iTunes. So we'll place the show notes on the RVC pages. So if you just type in RVC and clinical podcasts into your search engine, there should be top of the hit list. Um, until next time, bye-bye.